just a short time before we hit record tonight, news of uh, extreme weather and tornadoes in, in Central Texas and specifically the Austin area. So we are uh, still actively monitoring that situation, but we want to send our thoughts and prayers horns up for all of those affected by the extreme weather. Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Help to get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's sad because all of his road trip stories are now lame in comparison. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, you can't be a meet a road trip with a guy named Wheels or uh, a guy named CDC, I guess. Uh, but Chris Delconte road tripping to Milwaukee um, it may have been the best thing that that happened. Uh, well, I guess again, we'll talk about the the first game was was wonderful. The second game had some had some moments, but uh, honestly, the the play by play from Del Conte and his interactions with Buford T. Justice, uh, Oklahoma law enforcement. Uh, if you're not following Chris Del Conte on Twitter, guys, what are you doing? Um, I, I love that guy. I, I truly, truly, truly love Chris Del Conte. He's he seems as fun and as interesting and as nice as uh, one could expect, while also being you know supreme good at his job the number of speed traps in a state like oklahoma is inversely proportional to the quality of roads in this state and it's absolutely ridiculous like i just like if you're gonna charge me extra for driving fast you're also gonna charge you state income taxes like i shouldn't have to deal with pop tires and bent rims i also should have to go to fundraisers for my kids school but that's either here nor there we're not here to talk about infrastructure issues we're here to talk about some infrastructure issues potentially in the <laughs> texas program but the men texas got their first ncaa tournament in quite some time before kind of struggling a little bit in the second game some predictable things that you and i talked about some unpredictable things that we maybe didn't talk about so we'll talk about that off top the ladies however continue to roll Closed out the Irwin Center in style, heading to the Sweet 16. We'll talk about the baseball team getting their mojo back, potentially maybe even finding a new Sunday starter for them. Well, down the 40, a lot of action, especially in the pool, in the country club-ish sports this weekend. We'll close the show out with some bang, the drum, some burn orange lenses, some Godzilla Tron, all of that fun stuff. So we'll start with kind of the basketball in the March Madness on both the men and the ladies side of things. So Texas opened up the NCAA tournament, getting their first win since 2014 with an 81 to 73 win over a smoking hot coming into that game, Virginia Tech team. They were one of the hottest teams in the country, rattled off a bunch of wins to close the season, but there were potentially some, uh, some some dark spots on the apple or whatever you want to point out. And Texas found a way to exploit them uh, in route to a pretty solid and, and honestly for what we for what concerns we had going into that game turned out to be a pretty impressive showing overall. Yeah, and I actually think this is one of those games where the final score was a little bit closer than this game was. I think uh, there was a point they were up 
pretty big, pretty late, uh, like 17 with five minutes to play. And then Virginia Tech went on a little run to make it look respectable towards the end. Um, maybe a little nervous, but it seemed like Texas really was in control the entire second half. Um, basically from the point that Marcus Carr hit a, a half court buzzer beater to send them into the second half, uh, everything kind of went the horns away. Um, and, and that was great, right? Because that was a very, very trendy pick. I think the ESPN like bracket, you know, um, uh, where they measure effectively how the nation is judging it, had that one as Virginia Tech favored to win. So that was a popular pick, uh, not even a push. It was in in um, Texas as an underdog as the sixth seed. So uh, and the Texas was the only sixth seed, I believe, uh, to win. Um, so it, it was it was a trendy upset pick. It just Texas bucked that particular trend. Um, it, it looked good. I think this was a game basically where uh, Virginia Tech did one thing. Well, they did a few things well, but did one thing especially elite, and that was shooting, we talked about in our preview, shooting the three-point. Um, and not only did the Longhorns run them off the three-point line, um, holding them well below their, their season percentage, uh, but also only allowed them to hit, hit four in the game. But Texas went ahead and outshot them from the three-point line. I don't know if everyone saw that one coming with the Horns hitting double-digit three-pointers, 10 of them, in fact, for the first time since the beginning of December against UT Rio Grande Valley. Um, So, uh, you know, there was a game plan. You saw what Chris Beard brings to March, a tough defense, which teams that aren't in the Big 12 aren't used to seeing, a tenacious game plan that's going to try to take something away from the uh, opposing team, and a hope that the offense goes out and does enough to win. And in the first game, that is a perfectly executed game plan that beat a really hot team. Like you said, Texas was a really trendy pick to get uh, beat in the first round and get upset. Turned out that they were the only, I believe, six seed to win their opening round game. So uh, sucks to suck if you're anybody. <laughs> the thing for me with this game is that it just it this looked like, and I've said this before, this almost looked like the proof of concept of what Chris Beard wants his team to look like and will potentially look more like when he's got all of the right pieces. And I, and I don't say this to be reductive to the players on the team, but I don't think this is like the skill set and the mix of players that Chris Beard hat wants when his team is optimized, when his team is playing at the level that he wants it to. But we saw it against Virginia Tech where they were able to play really swarming, ferocious defense. They were able to get after Virginia Tech and really capitalize on those mistakes that they made while also playing highly efficient basketball. You and I have said it time and time again this year that the problem for Texas a lot of times, and we'll see this here in just a moment, is when you play that few number of possessions, you've got to hit more shots uh, than the 35 to 40% that they do in some of these games. And so for Texas to really play at the level that they did while also holding Tech to where they're like 4 of 12 from three-point range, where Texas, I think, hit 10, which is absolutely insane. But, like, Andrew Jones, once again, was was kind of the guy, and he really wanted to put the team on his back. I think, based on some of the social media stuff, I think this is the last ride. He's probably not going to go in for another year of eligibility. But, like, Andrew Jones played his heart out, and, and Marcus Carr finally kind of got his groove back. We're waiting for the time when he would get it back, and we didn't really see much of that in the Big 12 tournament because, well, one, they only played one game. But... <laughs> That was part of the reason why they only played one game is that we still didn't see a great Marcus Carr performance. And we got that from him in this game. And again, when Chris Beard's offense is getting 
elite playmaking from its guards like it got in this game. And they're also playing that ferocious defense. Defense travels, and when the shooting comes with it, Chris Beard teams are really hard to beat, and we saw that against Virginia Tech. This is a team that got some things going. This was Timmy Allen's kind of opponent when we've seen how uh, in, in, in the second game, you know, it was a different situation when there's a lot of big bodies in the paint. But this was a game where Timmy Allen could be one of the like four biggest guys on the court. Um, and when he does that and he can he can bully people in the post or get his mid range, you know, this was a good Timmy Allen 14 point game. In fact, every starter scoring double digits, it was a good Christian Bishop game, 11 points in just 15 minutes. Um, this was kind of a good everyone game. They hit free throws. This this was just a good a good game that, that worked the, the way it should. And, um, you know, it, I think coming out of it, there was this weird optimism. Well, if we beat one of the hottest teams in the country, uh, maybe we can get through the matchup nightmare that we all saw, you know, as soon as the brackets were announced uh, in, in Purdue. I mean, it's not one, but a, a an absolute monster of a one-two punch for a six seed was to have to go against those, um, those two teams, right? And especially for Texas. So to get through one, you thought, okay, we did something. And, and I think I was interested to watch the fan base react. There were some who just overreacted and said, yeah, we're going all the way to the final four, baby. This is easy. Uh, there was <laughs> some who were optimistic and said if we get through Purdue man the bracket kind of shakes out nicely with some of the other upsets around here and then there was some like me who kind of said man I would really like if we kept the Purdue game close and there we go segue I don't know how, where to where to start with this Purdue game but Texas uh lost to Purdue 81 to 71 which depending on what chunk of the game you watched the game either felt way bigger than a 10 point deficit or way smaller than a 10 point deficit which 20-0 run did you watch uh that allowed you to feel that way but uh Texas again we said it before the game that Texas might struggle with some of the size in the post some of the physicality in the post that Purdue and we saw it not with with Edie but Trevion Williams coming off the bench and really sparking the big run that that helped Purdue get back in this game Texas was absolutely cruising earlier early um, and then went on a basically 10 minute stretch without a field goal Purdue put together a 20 nothing run over like I said about nine minutes I think it was like nine minutes and 20 seconds or something like that where they went from a 14 to 8 deficit to a 28 to 14 lead and that was really where the game was I, this out. This is my firm conviction. We, we'll talk about the the officiating here in a little bit. But like the game really was lost in that stretch, if you ask me. Uh, here's what I'll say, Gerald. Um, yeah, I mean historically, when Texas has that stretch, they've lost those games. Now, now could this have been a different game if Texas didn't have that? Sure, but I also thought I walked away from a Chris Beard coached game more so in this one. And I know they had double digit comebacks towards the end of the season against a couple teams, but after that 20 0 run, the, the kind of gumption they showed the fight they showed. I mean, he, you saw them blow the TCU lead in the big 12 tournament. He called them out and said this, these players don't hate losing enough. They, they're not, you know, fighting tooth and nail to, to avoid that. And that's exactly what happened when you get up big and then you give up a 20 0 run and you go nine, Minutes. I mean, that that just is demoralizing as any player on any level when you go that long without being able to see the ball go through the hoop for your team. Um, but, I mean, look, they, they, they fought back. Marcus Carr doing something. I mean, it seems that's a Texas point guard, especially. We'll talk about women's basketball as well. But hit a buzzer beater. Um, or three seconds left, I think, in the half. Uh, 36-30 uh, to, to, you know, kind of give give the 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 mood that hey we we might be able to do something in the second half um they they got it 
back to a, a 41-40 game that ultimately was tied at, at, at 52-52. I mean, the it was it was an entirely different game in the second half because they did that fight back. You're right that had they just not had that, they could have had a lead. Um, and when Purdue did some great things that they did, you know, they could have weathered that maybe a little bit better. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that that was an iconic part of the game. But for the first time, and maybe it's because it was in the first half, they actually weathered that and came back and showed. I mean, it felt like every time Purdue just put the pedal to the metal and it's like, all right, this is where they step on the necks and it's done. Um, except maybe the last minute of the game. Uh, otherwise Texas had an answer and they responded back and they showed Texas fight. And it, uh, this, if that team played with that much heart, every single game, this would have been, people would be much more forgiving of a putrid offense. People would be much more forgiving if they, because that, I mean, that's all you want, right? You want your team just to play with heart. And if nothing else, I think that's the identity of a Chris Beard team. And, and I, I guarantee you that Beard, walked out of there with problems, with things he, he thought could have gone differently, with ways that that game could have been won for Texas, but walked out of there with some pride in his players for playing the way that I think that Chris Beer wants this identity to be for the University of Texas. Don't hear me denigrating or, or, or downplaying that response because that's something that I have been like praying and going into my my war room for all season is that, that comeback. But for me, you could feel the mood of the game change. Whereas that first run that Texas had where they were just all over them, it felt like Purdue felt like they couldn't play with Texas. And Texas, if if they were able to continue that tempo and that pace and that offensive production, I like I was feeling like Texas was gonna walk this game. Like that was what it felt to me early in the game. And that to me, when when Purdue started to feel like, oh, we do belong here, we can play with these dudes, that's where everything shifted. And that 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 confidence for Purdue carried into the second half. And that's really what I'm what I was trying to say. Because again, I, I had been hoping and wishing and praying for Texas to respond to an offensive drought like that all year. And for me, it's really just like Texas could have walked away with an easy upset win in the tournament. And won a lot of people some money who took Texas plus one and a half, not me, <laughs> where betting is not legal in Oklahoma yet outside of the casinos, but that's either here or there. But like that to me is was the story of the game or really one of the stories of the game early on. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you kind of hit the other one, right? Like I think um, everyone talked about the fact that Purdue had a seven foot four player and they did. And he was very tall. He never stopped being tall. They also had a six foot 11 player. If you listen to our preview podcast, you heard me say was one of the five finalists for cent- best center of the year last year before they had the seven foot four player playing a lot of minutes. Um, he went from the starter to the bench. He did start some this year and played a lot of minutes for them. Um, but that's an incredibly deadly one, two punch. We talked about it. Um, it, it, it has been a bit of a pick your poison because uh, it, Credit, let me take a moment to credit him. Courtney Ramey held Jared Ivey without, or excuse me, Jaden Ivey without a field goal attempt in the first half. And I have been on this podcast in our preview and in in, in conversations been trying to find the comparison for Jaden Ivey because I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. Uh, John ja Morant is the one who comes to mind. His athleticism is freakish uh he, he I, I mentioned on the podcast he might be the only player that texas plays this year is a better athlete than than ochai abaji and and he showed it in the second half but ramey you know did some what he does some ball denial just tried to take him out um and and because of that because ramey was locked in trying to keep that extra weapon out and because they worried about some of the shooters in the rotation texas made the gamble you again saw a game plan and said all right we're gonna we're gonna let our bigs prove themselves um against two big bodies and I'll give Bishop a lot of credit, though he fouled out and you know 
23 minutes, which I know a lot less than he wanted to play. And Dsu came in and played some big minutes in Cunningham. Um, they were undersized and outmatched, but they, you know, they they battled down there. And and it was one of the things where they single covered Travion Williams, who's a great post player, and the guy goes 10 for 13 for 22 points in in 25 minutes. I mean, it's just it. They said, "All right, make this the guy who's going to beat us." And honestly, he did. He's he was the difference in the game. Um, and and it, and it's a little bit brutal because he was really good last year, and this year you saw Big Ten defenses kind of run that strategy, and he didn't have as much luck, probably because they had a guy a little bit bigger or two they could <laughs> throw on him. Um, you know what I mean? And so it just felt like Texas was maybe one body short. I don't know that Trey Mitchell was the answer here, um, but one body short just to have some size, maybe to draw some fouls on a couple of their bigs, whatever it is, it felt like they just were one man short to be able to to do what they needed. And, and you know, then, of course, you knew Ivy was going to get his. He goes off in the second half because you could only deny him so long. Um, and that dagger three with a minute left, I mean, it felt like there was still hope, but Texas had played so well. It was a three-point game, and you saw Ivy just clear everybody out, and he's so fast, and he he put his foot downhill, and Ramey went with him, and then he just stepped back and had a, a long NBA range three and just drilled it with a three-point game with a minute left. It was an absolute tournament dagger. Credit to that guy. Um, but it felt like Texas had fought and come back and taken blows and done everything, and that one just felt like, all right, the back is broken they don't have enough in the tank. But again, I come back to, man, they played with heart. Like they, they, they won a lot of respect from me and a lot of people, the way they responded to everything in this game. Absolutely. You know, these players, even though they're with well within the rights to be disappointed, have nothing to be ashamed of from this game. Uh, I think there's a group of people that do have some things to be ashamed of in this game. And that's the, uh, the fellers in black and white (laughs) stripes. Um, And, and we're not normally the guys to like complain about the officiating. I'm a firm believer that if you do your job, you're never in a position for the officials to, to cost you the game. Um, But the free throw disparity in this one is something we do have to talk about. So Purdue hit the double bonus with 12 minutes left in the second half, which again, I've put it out there that quarters are far superior to halves uh, because that would solve a bit of that problem. No team should ever be in the double bonus for 12 minutes. Um, That's just my personal feelings. But because of that, Purdue shot 46 free throws in this game while Texas shot just 12. Now, before we go into the the converse, there's, there's a caveat we have to put on this. And I'm a firm believer that part of that is intentional and schematic from Texas. Yeah, when you're playing absolutely. a team that has a vast size advantage on you, you're going to be more physical. You're going to play a, um, a style of, especially with the lack of free throw ability that Edie shows. If you're an old like Kyle and I, you'll remember the hack a shack <laughs> strategy from the early 2000s. And that's a little what Texas did. And my issue is honestly not with the 46 free throws. It's with the 12. Yeah, I, it, it, my my entire kind of feeling about that is it, it, when watching the game, it felt like, man, it's tough to stop these guys. Texas is, is getting in physical, and they're calling it, right? When Texas – there is also a conversation about the Big 12, you know, having half of our games at least in conference, if not more, where they just let people duke it out. And Bishop thrives in that scenario where he can just body around and, and bang around down there. But, you know, and, and you've seen some other Big 12 teams in this tournament struggle with some foul trouble because it's called a little bit differently here. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree with you, right? They, they shot more three-pointers in this game than I, I didn't check, but might be all season. Uh, you know, the, basically the size and the the fact that they 
sagged off and said, come in here, try to try to score over our Giants. Uh, Texas ended up taking just a ton uh, of three-pointers in this game, so you're not going to get you know all the fouls there. But there, there were a couple calls that it's like, wait a minute. On the other end, that was a call, or that exact thing happened where Texas got that call. And, and yes, of course, the big bodies got a lot of the free throws, but also each of their kind of guards who penetrate, I think, shot nine free throws. So it was, it was just a general felt like maybe whistles were swallowed a little bit in some instances and then not in others. I mean, that, that was the, the kind of unevenness is, is interesting. And it did feel like more people complained about the officiating after the game when they saw the number and rightfully so, right? The 46 free throws are the third most in a, in a tournament game since 2010, right? People don't get 46 very often. It is the single largest free throw discrepancy of any tournament game over the last decade. Um, You foul out Bishop who played his butt off Timmy Allen, who did not have a great game, but again, you just have a guy who can get. He's shown a, a, a penchant for getting really timely, key offensive rebounds. Would have been nice to just have kind of his heart uh, in there. You had Andrew Jones, who, again, we saw it in the first game. When you have a Ramey and Jones both going, it makes Texas offense completely different. Jones was battling foul trouble all game. Um, like you mentioned, the double bonus, you just couldn't touch them the entire second half. Um, Gerald, I had a trivia for you. Since 2010... 11 teams have attempted at least 40 free throws in a tournament game. So this is the, the 11th time that's happened. Do you know how many of those 11 have lost? Zero. That's correct. It is zero. No one has ever since 2010 attempted 40 and lost. So, I mean, it's like it, it, if you're – I guess if you're a smart coach, you just you just go in every every tournament game and just figure out a way uh, to either handshake the officials – I'm kidding – or just make your game plan where you just draw – an inordinate amount of fouls because you can't lose. If you're shooting 40 free throws in the type of game that, that the college game is played at in March Madness, you, you you can't lose. And so I agree with Gerald completely that I wish the 12 was higher so this number wasn't so big, so it wasn't the only talking point because there's a lot of other things to talk about. But uh, it is a little unfortunate. It is unfortunate that that will be the thing that people remember about this game. The conversation online was not, man, Texas battled back from a 20-0 run. The conversation online was not like Texas was in this game until the very end. The conversation was massive free throw disparity. Now, the conversation, that conversation is also aided by the fact that, like, the officiating in the NCAA tournament overall has been pretty poopy, for lack of, (laughs) I didn't say poopy when I was not podcasting. (laughs) You can figure out what word I said there. Um, But, like, we saw it in the, the, the Baylor game where Baylor lost. Like, the officiating there was terrible and let Baylor back in the game. Mm-hmm. There, there were all sorts of weird... We saw it in the TCU-Arizona game. Maybe the Big 12 teams? I don't know. Just a, just the thought the Big 12 was 6-0 and in the first round and the NCAA maybe put the fix in. I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, but I'd be willing to put on a tinfoil hat to have that conversation where they're just scared of the Big 12 continuing to solidify itself as the best basketball conference in the country. Maybe that's just me. Gerald, I'll just tell you, 138 points was the margin of victory in the first round for Big 12 teams, the single largest by any conference ever in the history of March Madness. Big 12 dominated the first round. So it's interesting that there was some officiating in the second round that was different. I'm not saying... In which in which two teams did, did Fox leave out of their college hoops graphic for the Sweet 16 this, Ooh, this morning? Tinfoil, Iowa just, State and Texas Tech. I'm just saying, and if you hear Kyle and I defending Texas Tech and Iowa State, then you know this is egregious. If you hear those words coming out of our mouth, you know it's absolutely egregious because the words get caught in my throat when I try to say them. But as a final kind of button on this 
Texas had some performances from the guys that you know and love. Marcus Carr, 23 points, 7 assists. Andrew Jones, it was probably his final game in, in burnt orange, 17 points. Christian Bishop, 10 and 7 in 23 minutes before he had to sit on the bench. Uh, 16 assists to 7 turnovers from Texas. Again, 20 to 15 uh, fast break margin. Like Again, this is what the Chris Beard teams can look like when they're chugging on all cylinders and not having to play against three extra dudes on the court. And this is also what Marcus Carr can look like all season. I think that's what people wanted and thought. I saw, uh, I think it was the Texas basketball team either tweeted or Instagram posted something, Marcus Carr. They added a, a parentheses H, and it took me a second to actually get it, which I was disappointed in myself. But then it made sense. He he played out of his mind. Honestly, in March Madness, he was, he was exactly what we thought we were getting, or maybe better, because not only did he score, not only did he kind of limit turnovers, but he also facilitated as well as he had all season uh, racking up assists. There's a reason that they had 33 assists to 16 turnovers in the tournament. I mean, that that was what Beard wanted from his offense. They shot probably more threes than they would have desired, but that was what worked in game one, and that's what they had to do in game two. They got double digits in both of those. It took 28 to get it in the second one. But, I mean, this you saw something. And, and again, I keep coming back to it. The heart, the game plan. You could see where a few different guys, a few different pieces, you know, it might look different. It'd be curious to, to see when the dust settles, who comes back from this. We know a couple that, that can't or aren't in, aren't eligible, but many have a choice. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, and, and just one final point on it. Purdue now takes on St. Peter, the Cinderella 15 seed. UNC takes number eight. UNC takes on number four. UCLA. This is the least chalky, one of the least chalky, you know, quadrants I've seen in a while, um, and that's why people are so frustrated. Because I mean, whoever won this game has a pretty good path. You beat. You hope the Cinderella streak ends with with them. You beat UNC coming back to down to earth, maybe, and you know you're in the final four, and that's you know that's what makes it so hard. I kind of think Purdue will do both of those things likely. So you know, who who knows? Could it have been Texas if it were a different day? And everything they wanted to do went well, and the offense worked for all the minutes of a game, and their hack a shack strategy uh, paid off a little better. I don't know, it, but. It was a good game, and there's a lot of what could have been. Um, but Texas got the monkey off their back. That's the other thing. I think I wanted two wins in this tournament, but I predicted one. I think in all my brackets, I picked Texas to win the first game and lose the second. That's what happened. And look, it's it's been a long time since Texas won in March. And I, we should not settle for one win. But you have to start somewhere, and I appreciate that at least that Band-Aid has been ripped off. There's a lot to talk about and think about for next year. This is the perfect convergence of being happy with – the direction, but having the expectation for more. And I think that's the story of the season for me. It's like, I feel like the direction is good at this point, but we just want more. And hopefully as Chris Beard probably attacks the portal again, he probably won't take like seven guys from the portal, but um, they'll probably hit the portal again. They'll probably look for another 2022 player as well. And so we'll see what the team looks like next year as the Longhorns try to run it back and, and improve on the results from 2021 slash 22. So in what are the final basketball games at the Frank Irwin Center? The Texas women sent the old drum out in style. Two dominant performances, 70-52 to over Fairfield in the opener, and then absolutely putting the boots to Utah, 78-56 to to close out the Irwin Center, to close out their hosting duties in the regional and advance to the Sweet 16 and in. If you've been following Texas basketball all year, you've been wondering 
when Aaliyah Moore was going to have her debut. And she kicked in the door, waving the 4-4, and all they said was, Aaliyah, don't hit me no more. (laughs) And that was the story of the weekend for me, is that she absolutely just came out and said, I'm here, and I'm going to be here for four years, and you guys have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think this this so far in this tournament has been the the freshman playing like seniors. You know, it has been uh, – Aaliyah Moore showed up in the Baylor game and, and announced herself. She said a season – I think it was her first double-digit scoring game. She's done that now three straight against Baylor, and in each we'll talk about the second game as well. But she set a new career high with 18 points in this game, her first career double-double with 10 rebounds. It's like, you know, if you're a, if you're a team and you're looking at the, the the weapons that Texas has, and there's, there's quite a few of them, and then you see – Aaliyah Moore starting to play like, you know, the, the player who's the preseason freshman of the year, which is an interesting award to award. Um, but, you know, they they knew she was a great recruit. Um, she's a top 10 recruit in every service. Some had her one or two. So you finally saw it, just the, the footwork, the ability to grab offensive rebounds, um, you know, the ability to finish through contact, to get to the foul line and then just drain all her free throws. Um, she just, she looks like the real deal. But I, I Here's what I'll say, Gerald. There are two freshmen here. One was an unknown entity that came on. The other, you talked about the preseason freshman of the year. The other is the, I think, in my opinion, the national, uh, and that campaign is ongoing, but freshman of the year in Rory Harmon, who's only getting better with each game. Um, And she also had a double-double against Fairfield, um, who had a really good point guard. We talked about in our preview. Fairfield had a a point guard who was, you know, like top 10 in assists, was scoring at a high rate. You know, they she was not didn't have an easy assignment and Harmon came up um and did what she did you know 10 points 11 assists which is a career best just just looked like an absolute floor general in this game paced the game well um you know managed the ball led the press guarded the 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 point of the attack um against you know we we talked about it Fairfield had a pretty good offense with not a ton of weapons but a couple pretty good weapons and I you know I, I thought both freshmen were just unbelievable in this game when when the lights were brightest this was another journal weekend for Vic Schaefer again if you if you're new to the the podcast I like to imagine the Vic Vic Schaefer is a is a journaler and I feel like these are two that when he goes back and reads the the leather-bound journals in his uh in his office in his um in his twilight years in his golden years he'll revisit these two games fondly And, and it starts with I think the the pace that was set by the guards and it and it ends with the defense that Texas played just absolutely shutting down what Fairfield really wasn't an equal match, mm-hmm. but like Utah, like yeah. Utah is an offensive freaking juggernaut, yeah. man. And Texas absolutely just said, not not anymore. Like, I don't care what you're trying to do. You're trying to shoot threes, nah play. You're trying to go down low, nah play. <laughs> they they even like in there was a conversation on Twitter about Lauren Ebo and kind of her um, her play in this game because Texas kind of went a little bit smaller and pulled yeah. her out of the game yeah. um, uh, uh, schematically, and there there were conversations about like, well, they should just pull her out of the uh, pull her out of the lineup and play um, Matharu full time. And I'm like, no, like that that was this is one of the reasons why I hire Vic yeah. Schaefer is because he makes these types of adjustments in the yep. game. And he has a player like Lauren Eba who's leading the team in rebounds by like 80. <laughs> like she literally is 80 rebounds better than the next mm-hmm. person on the, the stat sheet. So like you don't bench her just because there's a schematic advantage to going smaller because Utah is not going to be and found zero success in trying to bang it down low inside. They were trying to shoot from the perimeter. Yep. And so she, her, her skill set, 
what she brings to the team was not highlighted. And so that change, and again, bringing Mathario off the bench to really spark the offense. She, she kind of played that Ginobili role for all the, the San Antonio fans. Like she really came off the bench and, and lit things up and were able to, was able to push the effort for Texas and really like the things took off. I think at least from my estimation, when she came on the floor, her and, and Aaliyah Moore as well. Right. So if, if she, if Mathari played the Ginobili role, which you know how much I'm, I'm getting giddy at this analogy. I love this. Uh, then Aaliyah Moore played the stinking Tim Duncan role. And not just because she had 21 points, um, set a new career high in the third consecutive game, uh, 21 points, five rebounds and shot 90% from the field. All she did was get down low where Utah couldn't match her strength and her size. And it was Matharu with the energy, with the, with the shooting, with the defense. And then it was Leah Moore with anything that came inside. I mean, the, 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 the story of this game is the bench scoring for Texas with those two and a couple others outscoring Utah 44 to 10. Um, not only did they hold Utah 20 under their season average, where they were a, tw- a top 15 offense, shades of what they were able to do against Maryland last year in the tournament that, you know, when they were the number one offense and people just thought they had no chance. Um, Texas knows how to strangle a defense. And, and you saw it with Rory Harmon going down to the floor, Aliyah Matharu going full extension for balls, you know, diving to, to take jump balls or balls, you know, Harmon racing from a few feet back to chase someone down court. Admittedly, Utah's coach did a great job scheming against the full court press. They got a couple easy baskets, but they also had a lot of trouble. So if they could beat it down, they, they did that probably six, eight points, but they also had turnovers that were uncharacteristic for them and forced into some things they maybe didn't want to do. So Vic controlled the game with his defensive plan, with the players executing it. They were able... This this game might have been the most Vic Schaefer game, even including that Cinderella Elite Eight run last year. This may have been the most Vic Schaefer game I've seen where everything just worked the way that he wanted it to he would probably tell you they could play a little better defense and hey the the offense cooled off a little in the fourth quarter you know but no 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 they just beat a team that no one else in the country I mean they scored 90 in in round one against a a not incredibly terrible Arkansas team I mean Utah is a very very good offense and they're one of the better three-point shooting teams in the women's game and Texas was just again able to take away the thing that they wanted to do make them do the things they didn't want to do and Texas did everything they wanted to do a lot of it was Matharu getting hot but Texas I think at one point hit 14 straight shots across the second and third quarters they were just in fuego um it was it was so much fun to watch Harmon was like you know a prime TJ Ford. I, I I tweeted out that she's the most fun player on the 40 acres, you know, basketball player since Kevin Durant, because the thing she can do, she knew exactly when to attack and hit the pull-up. She knew exactly when to kick it out. She knew exactly when to initiate the offense and get someone else's shot. Just again, as a freshman, the maturity that she showed, uh, the, the, the finishing that Moore showed. I mean, it just, there was a lot of players to like in this one, but Mathur, Mathur Moore and, and Harmon for me were the, uh, the, the co triumvirate of MVPs. Um, you could have just gone with a trio there, and that would have probably worked <laughs> just as well. But it's either here nor there. Um, no, MV- MVP it, trio sounds like a dish at, uh, at Denny's, uh, so I, I avoided that. I, <laughs> it feels like that feels more like an IHOP thing. Where you, you might get the be three right. Most popular pancakes. You, you might be like, right. That totally feels the MV trio. Get our three <laughs> most popular breakfast entrees for nine ninety nine with a cup of coffee. It's not kangaroo meat. It's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that last part out. As we kind of put a close on this, I think the scariest thing for me is that Vic Schaefer, who is on a streak of six consecutive Sweet 16s, 
has a really young team. Mm -hmm. Like this is a very young team and Texas may get some of its elder states, elder states people back in the 2022, 23 season, depending on COVID years and eligibility and all that. They've also got another crop of incredible young talent, including some additional help in the post. So like, this is a good team that again, we said it last year, last year was the overachieving year. This is the ahead of schedule year. And it's all in all possible, and I don't want to jinx it, that we may have to change our Twitter header sooner rather than later. Ooh, I like that little tease there. If you follow us on Twitter, you understand what that means and uh, why that is incre- incredibly significant. It means hardware is involved. Um, yeah, I, Gerald, I, I agree entirely with you. The fact that the freshmen are coming along so soon, the fact that you have t- more talented freshmen on the bench that aren't getting the minutes to really thrive y- yet, and that's no you know credit to them. Actually, Kendall Hunter played more in this one than I'd seen in a long time, um, but as the backup point guard, basically. Uh, but the fact that there's so much like top 10, top 20 talent just waiting to get in because Vic doesn't like playing freshmen. Like, that's how good these freshmen are playing when Vic Schaefer in key moments is saying, yep, I'm running with the freshmen. You know, like, it is it is so far gone that Harmon is the, is the leader of this team, and Vic does not do that with freshmen. So, again, just kudos to, to, to those women and, and their ability to be um, just so far ahead of schedule. Kudos to Vic for his adjustments and his game plan and them working. Kudos to to Warren, you know, when she get in as a senior making her plays and Joanne Allen-Taylor starting the game off, you you know, on fire when Texas had a really back and forth first quarter with Utah. Um, you know, th- yeah, this just felt like as fun of a basketball game as I've seen anyone play on the 40 acres in a long time. And, and the win streak's now 13 games, Gerald. That's uh, this team. You don't want to play Texas right now. They are, they are, you know, absolute magma fire hot. It looks like Texas may be dodging the Kim Mulkey Express, which you hate to see it, Kyle. You hate to see <laughs> bad things happen to objectively awful people. Now, Kim Mulkey uh, and the LSU Tigers are currently down uh, 16 to Ohio State with about uh, with about six minutes left to play. So Texas may be able to avoid the coach that's been a thorn in their side for, let's just be honest, for as long as you and I really have been covering uh, Texas women's basketball but either way i think i like the texas matchup uh for that if it's ohio state ohio state really struggles with the press so i would be um curious to see what coach schaefer draws up for that (laughs) matchup we'll obviously have continued coverage of the longhorns as they march through the march madness so we're already way over budget today, but we're going to do it anyways. Number two, Texas baseball, as it uh, tries to get its swagger back and get a little bit of its mojo back um, after really, let's just be honest, falling off a cliff of some unsustainable pitching and two out hitting and all those things that we saw early in the season. Closed out an eight-day road trip. They won uh, over the Citadel and really was a weird come-from-behind blowout against the <laughs> Citadel uh, to close out their spring break field trip in South Carolina. They came home and hosted Incarnate Word and swept the Birds to close out their final non-conference weekend series uh, as they kind of gear up for Big 12 play. And and this looked more like what we expected to see from Texas uh, week in and week out. This felt, again, we talked about it last week. They were were heading into some get-right games, and this seemed and felt like some get-right games. 
Yeah, and much needed, right? I think when they left South Carolina licking their wounds and still had two more games in South Carolina, they lost the first one. And then, you're right, went down in the, the, the fourth team they'd played, I think the seventh game in, in the state or the sixth of South Carolina. And it just felt like, boy, this is this is a long time away from home. And it's it was a unique scheduling experience. Not many people have tried it. I, I don't know if Coach Pierce will necessarily try it in years future to, to have the spring break trip where you just don't come home for over a week. But, like, again, to keep the Spurs analogy, the rodeo road trip but yes they came home and they got right Gerald those four games you mentioned goodness they outscored their opponents in those four 59 to 8 it's the first time since 1993 which I know the 90s feel like 10 years ago but that's much more than 10 years uh since they scored double digits in four straight games I'll start with the Friday game when they set a season high 19 runs uh, in a 19 to 2 win they had 17 hits scored 13 of their 19 with two outs so they they still keeping the magic going this one when the Friday night game went it's like man Murphy Staley is really good four for five six RBIs three runs scored oh just wait there's more Murphy but uh good to see messenger getting it and on the Friday game the thing that I would just want to point out Mitchell Daly went two for four, three runs scored, and two RBIs. He's been the missing piece for this Texas offense. He's been really down from where he was last year, hasn't been able to take that step up. And so if that's any indication, if he can get hot, if he can get the bat going, that could be really good for Texas as they head into the Big 12. And I think even more so than than daily is just the the Texas bullpen seemed to get its mojo back, its groove back uh, in that Friday night game. Hanson did what Hanson does, uh, pitched five innings, gave up uh, just two runs on four hits, uh, struck out six. But like Blair and Stewart and Duplantier came in and and didn't give up a run in their um, in their four innings of, of service. And I think. With the struggles of the bullpen, and we'll talk more about this, especially on the Sunday when we talk about Sunday, like that to me was the the big sigh of relief because we expected the Texas pitching to kind of be the bell cow and to be the 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 group that carried a lot of water for a group that already has some really hot bats as well. And so seeing it kind of get shaky after they lost one of their three aces um, was it was a was a moment that caused some pause for a lot of Texas fans and the sky was falling a little bit last week for some of us. And that was fine. I had, I tried to keep it bottled up, but I was pinning a lot of my hopes on Texas baseball this year, but that's my own fault for having expectations. But like to see those, those guys and those arms get back to where they wanted to be and where they need to be for Texas to be successful uh, was absolutely pleasant. And again, going into Saturday, the same thing. Tristan Stevens did Tristan Stevens things on Saturday, pitched seven innings and pitched just seven, 72 pitches, painfully efficient, which is what we like from our Tristan Stevens. In and out, or yeah. your money back. Yeah, no, it was a Stevens masterclass. I mean, it, it is it is just, you could set your watch to him, you know, being efficient like that. It's it's so much fun to have a guy. And when we talk about the Sunday starter, when you have some now volatility added into that Sunday spot, coming out of Saturday knowing that's your most consistent guy, uh, you know, just wonderful. The bullpen also one hit in two innings. Uh, Faltini hit three for four in this one. Kennedy three for five. He's quietly having a really, really, really good year. Um, Kennedy had four RBIs, all with two outs. And Melendez, I mean, he got walked a bunch in the first game, so he didn't get to call his name out. But he went two for five in this one, and his two were a double, a triple, and got two RBIs off it. So you love to see Melendez continue his, like, conversation for National Player of the Year putting up numbers. And uh, spoiler alert, he did it again on Sunday. 
The Titanic definitely did go yard on Sunday, but it paled in comparison to the current Big 12 Player of the Week, who we talked about again. Uh, Murphy Staley went three for four with three. All three of those hits went over the wall for four runs batted in. It's just the sixth three-home run game in Texas history, which uh, Tech's been playing baseball for a long, long time. But but in spite of all that, for me, and I've, I've alluded to it a couple times, is the performance of Lucas Gordon on Sunday, who, as Texas tries to figure out who its Sunday starter is going to be, maybe has thrown his hat in the ring and kind of put himself at the top of the stack for what um, Texas needs in that in that third starting spot. We talked about it earlier this year in our preview, and we talked about it in a couple different game recaps. Gordon's a guy who they expect to be a starter next year, so they're just this is a year ahead of schedule. But he has, you know, I don't know Friday, Saturday, Sunday starter stuff, but has starter stuff, and so he he staked his claim with seven career high seven shutout innings, got his first career win, and the thing that you love, like you said. He did his thing for seven innings, and the bullpen said, man, we don't want to blemish this. And so they just went ahead and finished out the last two with Jared Southard and Aaron Nixon, two of their better relievers, and and pitched a pair of scoreless innings for their fifth shutout of the season. So you like to get those zeros on the board, especially on a Sunday, especially after what you had in South Carolina. Um, I mean, again, to score all the runs that they did was unbelievable. 59 of them in the past four games, but I'm almost more excited that they were able to get a zero here. Maybe they can get another one or another low number in their midweek and then uh, go into Big 12 play with the arms feeling confident. But I, I, I just want to say, Gerald, we thought last week Melendez's Titanic numbers were as good as it gets. I might argue that Murph Dog, Murphy Staley's Big 12 player of the week stats this week are some of the best week of Texas baseball hitter, like Texas hitter, I, I've I've seen since I've been watching this team. He hit 545 with four homers, 14 RBIs, uh, six feet 15 on base percentage. He actually stole a base. He had a single, uh, stole second, and then got dr- driven in from there. You know, he, his slugging was uh, 1.182. Like he just was seeing the ball look like a beach ball. He said he'd never had a three home run game, even in little league. You know, um, just. Murph Dog quietly, people have been talking about Melendez and Faltini's been hitting home runs, but quietly, Murph Dog is is by far uh, the best hitter on this team right now. He's leading the team uh, in in multiple categories. He he has nine doubles, uh, hitting 458 on the season. Gerald almost 500 on the season as he gets close to 100 at bats. He is crushing uh, the ball, and it's just it's wonderful to see that it's not just Melendez, but there's other bats stepping up big. The bats can really carry Texas, I think, through Big 12, especially, again, as they still try to figure out and make sure that that third starting spot is solidified. But they've got one more tune-up before conference play, taking on Central Arkansas at home. That's the 23rd game for Texas in 33 days, 13 of which have been in hotels. So it'll be nice uh, to get a little bit of a a respite from that uh, before heading back on the road to Lubbock, which is a fun, fun, fun road to drive (laughs) uh, to open Big 12 conference play this weekend. So now's the part of the show where we quickly navigate through all the people moving quickly around the campus and we down the 40. We've got to start with Texas women swimming and diving had high hopes for the year and uh, I think delivered on those high hopes. Women swimming and diving finished as the national runner-up behind UVA, but this might be important toward the end of the year, ahead of Stanford for their best finish since 1994. Kyle, there are double-digit All-Americans and about a quarter, three-quarters of a dozen, eight uh, honorable mentioned All-Americans. Texas also in this put up five 
program records in the NCAA tournament. So a lot of honors around the pool and the natatorium for the ladies. And not only, like you said, uh, you know, Virginia was, was so, so good. They deserve their national championship. But to move from third to second where you get that silverware, that runner-up, in uh, those those beautiful Directors' Cup points, they were coming into the last day in third place behind Stanford. They made the push. They passed them. They couldn't get uh, Virginia in the top spot, but they passed Stanford to get that second spot. Uh, and it was beautiful. Their best finish since '94. It feels like uh, Capitano is so close to getting one of those national titles that that Eddie seems to be hogging on the men's side. Uh, but yeah, I mean th- this this was a, a incredible performance across all four days. Uh, and like I said, especially that final day when they were competing to to get to that number two uh, spot at, at least and. They did it, and they looked fantastic. And, and kudos to all of the multiple All-Americans, the program records, and all just the uh, incredible performances in the pool. So the men will be in the pool this week, Thursday, in Atlanta. Texas qualified 19 swimmers and four divers, which is the most out of any school. Texas hoping to extend its streak of championships for Eddie Reese, who came who decided to unretire to just continue to try to rack up that hard risk. We'll hopefully see them at the top of our Twitter profile next week. Men's tennis stayed in Cali. They went out there for a uh, California, can't say two-step, but they were in tech. They played two different teams in California. They uh, took on number nine, USC, beat them four to three on Tuesday. A little spring break in Cali, and then stayed there and played Pepperdine, who was number 21, beat them five to two in their efforts. You kind of wish they would have played three in California, so you could have called the Cali tri-tip. That's a uh, that's a bar- regional barbecuing joke that some of the barbecue heads are ooing about. So next up for Texas, they host number 37 OU to kick off Big 12 play this week. On the ladies' side, already in Big 12 play, number six Texas women's tennis beat West Virginia, just blasted them seven love, won all seven points, then headed to Ames to take off uh, to take on Iowa State and beat them six to one. Just absolutely incredible performance on the hard surface yeah beat number 20 iowa state pretty uh convincingly clinched at 4-1 finished out and won everything six uh one i think they're looking fantastic and i'm rooting very hard for this team and not only because sabina zanilova is an absolute hero next up for them they're staying on the road they're going to oklahoma to take on the sooners and the cowboys really other direction going to the cowboys first stillwater and then norman friday and Sunday. What do you call an Oklahoma double, Gerald? You, you, I mean, you've been there long enough. It's not a Texas two-step. It's not a Cali tri-tip. What do you call an Oklahoma double? Kyle, uh, I plead the fifth on that one. If you <laughs> don't remember my, um, it's a good, it's a good joke setup. But my my wife and all three of my children are from the state of Oklahoma. As an expat living abroad, I understand you have to <laughs> you have to make the locals uh, happy. I get it. Number 13, men's golf finishes second at the Omni Tucson Invitational with a team 32 under over three rounds. Five of the top 13 teams in the country represented, including three of the top four. Strong performance from Texas. It's crazy what happens when the cooties get back in the swing of things, Kyle. Well, one cootie. They're hoping to get the second cootie back next uh, in their next, not next week, but two weeks when they uh, are back on the course in uh, Georgia. But... Uh, Parker, yes, you're right. Uh, he carded a on the final day to push them up to second place, carded an eight under 64, which is the second, tied for second lowest round ever in the history of University of Texas golf. So really incredible from Cootie, Cole Hammer, Travis Vick. They all played uh, pretty well there. Again, they are hoping to get the P 
PGA Tour University number one ranked player in the world, Pearson Cootie, back in their next one in Augusta. Teams that are back to winning softball went 5-0 and against ranked teams, including a Wednesday doubleheader at Louisiana. Then they swept LSU, just taking all of the bases from the boot state. Janae Jefferson against Louisiana became the first Texas Longhorn to amass 300 career hits. And then the pitching staff really took over uh, Friday and Saturday against LSU. Uh, Estelle Check got back into her winning ways, complete game from her. Three hits, five strikeouts, seven and one on the year. Janae Jefferson drove in. Drove in the go-ahead run, and then on Saturday, Haley Dulcini again got back to her uh, winning ways. A complete game from her, all seven. Gave up just one hit, struck out six. Um, we've got to talk about Katie Simmons. How do we? What did we come up with Simmet. her last name? It's Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, yeah. That 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 SZ at the end. Um, but she hit two home runs uh, in that game to, to really put the team on her back. She's absolutely, she's just kind of a shoe in for freshman of the year at this point. Like it really feels like there's not another freshman playing at her level, which is just absolutely incredible. She's just blasting the ball. It's funny to watch the two competing social media accounts. The uh, Texas baseball team will get uh, someone dumb enough to run on Silas and they'll tweet out, don't run on Silas. And then uh, Katie will throw somebody out uh, on the softball diamond and they'll tweet out, don't run on Katie. It's funny to just have two absolute aces behind the plate throwing people out. And and uh, while Silas is batting well, Katie is out of her mind uh, as a freshman just, just uh, smacking the ball around the park. In the pre-COVID days, I would love for those two to team up for like an NIL thing with Golden Corral. And, like people <laughs> running for another plate. And then throwing a roll at them, it would be perfect commercial. I have it all worked out in my head. It's just, it's just where my head goes because my head is a weird plate. But place, plate. See, can't get away from it. Those two shutouts, though, were the first time LSU has been held scoreless since 2017. They're usually an offensive juggernaut, but not to Texas. We saw some of that offense from them on Sunday. Uh, Texas trailed 10 to nine in the bottom of the seventh with two outs on the board. If you don't remember softball only plays seven innings, not nine. So Janae Jefferson, a uh, friend of the show, friend of ours, uh, reached on a fielding error with two outs on the board. Mia Scott advanced her on a single. And then Mackenzie Parker said, don't worry about all that and blasted a double into left field. Both of those scored for a walk off uh, 11 to 10 win to secure the weekend sweep over a uh, kind of an upset over a ranked LSU. Yeah, I mean, a really incredible week for them. So Texas baseball, with their good week, moved back up to number two in the RPI. Uh, Texas softball, who'd been much lower, actually moved up to number 12 in the RPI after this uh, week of, of ranked wins. Uh, in fact, they extended their unbeaten streak to 11 games, um, and five of those consecutively were against ranked teams. Last time they beat five ranked teams consecutively was 2013. So 5-0 and against ranked teams. That's, you know, it, it looks like after some early season wobbles, you're starting to see Texas softball look like Texas softball again number 12 in the RPI if that shakes out fully across Big 12 play which will be tough you're talking about a regional type team or just thereabouts so it'll be tough Big 12 play but uh, you know they've, they've done enough with their end of their out of conference to be in a good headspace to head into it so next up for Texas, midweek match, matchups against Lamar and Texas State before the first weekend series of Big 12 play against Kansas State 
All right, Jared, let's take a look at uh, quickly at the burn orange lenses. I'm going to just go go track heavy on this one. This weekend is the 94th Clyde Littlefield Texas Relays. Gerald, it's an Austin institution, an Austin event. Anyone in particular you know who might be going to this event who, you know, seems notable? Arch Manning, Ruben Owens, Jonte Cook will all be in town. And you know what? It'd be great. If they just decided to shut it down this weekend, that would be fantastic if that news came out. But either way, I'm sure the Longhorns will be shutting it down on the track to the competition because they're elite. And it was recognized this week with Coach Edric Florial as well as Pete Watson, the assistant coach, winning the kind of sweeping the men's awards, uh, track and field awards from the USTFCCA. Easy for me to say. Uh, the indoor coaching uh, head coach of the year went to Florial after the team's first ever NCAA title. But then also Watson uh, got the assistant of the year. So big things for track. And finally, Gerald, just putting it out there. Spring football starts this week. Now, we not only are we talking recruiting, real, not real. It is football. They are practicing. Things are happening. That means it's closer. That means we are X amount of days closer to actual football. There will be football played. I am working on some spring preview articles that will be going up in the next couple of days. I, because I'm the mensch, took the tight ends, the defensive line, and special teams so everybody else could do like quarterbacks and wide receivers. <laughs> so it's fine. You'll you'll hear some great punting stats from me because that is the most high. Outside of the quarterbacks, legitimately, outside of the quarterbacks, the next punter has some big shoes to fill. We'll talk about that. You can read more about it uh, on Burn Orange Nation here in a couple days. Love that. The uh, Your favorite punter's favorite podcast. Podcast. As always, Gerald and I keeping it funky with the special teams. Gerald, besides deep cuts of special teams uh, practice footage, what have you been watching on your giant screen with the Godzilla Tron? Uh, so not a, I've been revisiting some Disney classics with my son audio only. We're on a road trip. We got the DVD player in the car. So he watched Aladdin like seven times. What it felt like, which again, just as good because I know that movie, like the back of my hands, I was able to follow along with it uh, while I was driving, uh, just by listening to it. But, um, Vox Machina on, on Amazon, it's like a, um, if you're into like critical role and all that stuff, it's good. It's it's not one for the kids. It's animated, but it's definitely not for the kids. Um, we found something that is for the kids. My son found a show on Netflix called Making Fun, and it's basically just a show where some like some professional they call they call themselves makers, which is a weird thing, but basically they they take custom. Um, like orders for things that people want built and build them. And so they get kids on FaceTime and kids pitch them crazy ideas for stuff to build. And then these guys take a week and build it. And it's, it's funny. Um, it's for the older kids. There is some stuff like, I don't want my four year, my five year old walking around saying a couple of things that they say, but like, it's funny. And the cool thing about it, if you're like into this kind of stuff, they talk to the kids or they like, part of the, the, the content they're putting out there is like, this is why you include a spring when you build something because it converts kinetic uh, potential energy to kinetic energy and it helps you move things. Or this is what a lathe does or like all sorts of cool things like that. They talked about how an arc welder worked and like, that's just interesting stuff if you're into like STEM and getting your kids working with their hands. Um, it's really interesting. And then Kyle and I have a joint one. My wife and I, if you're not, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I'm super old and super washed. And so we are currently current on the Top Chef Houston, which took place right in Kyle's backyard. That's right, Gerald. I, I, uh, you're, so you're caught up. I actually have watched the first episode twice because I watched it once without my wife. So then I, 
got to watch it again. Um, and she fell asleep, and we didn't get to the second episode. And I didn't want to have to watch the second episode twice, so I have not watched any of the second, third. You value your marriage, Kyle. That's that really is, what it is. That is correct. I think I could get away with watching the – what's the what's the online uh, – the, the, the adjacent show? The, the Last Chance Kitchen. Last Chance Kitchen. I think I could get away with watching some Last Chance Kitchen, but it would ruin the future episode. So once I get caught up, that will be what I'm allowed to watch without my wife so I can stay. I love Top Chef. I love Houston. I love Houston's culinary scene. I've uh, for many years said I think it is just unbelievably underrated. I think it is is as good as any place in the country, San Francisco, L.A., New York uh, included. I, th- I think it belongs in that conversation with all of the best and also has the kind of most approachable price point where you can get – uh, every level of gourmet, you can get the really fine dining. You can get stuff that should not be $8 that will blow your socks off. It is just, in my opinion, America's most interesting and great food city. And so I am very proud of my you know, new now hometown, over a decade hometown, um, and uh, have been waiting for this since they announced it uh, just with bated breath. So I will quickly probably get caught up this week where we can we can talk about it, Gerald. But I am very, very excited that Top Chef finally came to Houston uh, I didn't watch anything else. A lot of basketball. Lot, lot, lot of basketball. Um, I, I'm I have been working just an un, inordinate amount uh, from home mainly, but working a lot of hours, and so I have not um, used all of my PTO. I'm at my max accrual, and my boss keeps telling me take some dang PTO. So I did just that. I took Friday off and just watched basketball. I actually took off early Thursday and watched basketball i watched as much of this tournament as i have in years it was fun it was nice um so yeah i watched so much basketball but we all did so i'm not going to talk about that here in the godzilla tron but uh it's fun man march madness i watched a ton of the women's march madness just random games i mean it's it's fun this is one of the best times of the year I absolutely watched a ton of basketball as well. The advantage of working from home, right? I don't have to take Thursday and Friday off to just watch basketball. I can have it on in the background while I'm working. Kyle, here's a little teaser to to um, get your wife motivated to catch up on Top Chef. Episode 3 of Top Chef Houston. They do an Asian night market. Just throwing Ooh. that out there. Get excited for that one. It's real, real good. But now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics. Big birthday. I mean, bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, I, I referenced uh, the, the, a little bit of this earlier, but I am just so incredibly proud at the tradition of the University of Texas student athletes being both students and athletes and having opinions. And, and I mean, I, I remember... I think I've told this story on this podcast, but, you know, renowned UT professor David Lottie coming into a freshman leadership organization and, and just basically like rollicking us saying, you know, f- freshmen and kids and, and movers and shakers back in my day used to stand for something on this campus. They stood outside the president's office and protested and shouted and they, they stood for things and they cared. Uh, and, you know, I was inspired at 18, 19 by, by that. And, and it's interesting because what I see is a current generation, not just of athletes, but of students generally is they care and they stand for something and they speak out when they see something they don't like and I, I kind of briefly mentioned this, but you know, UT women's tennis player um, Sabina Zainalova was born in Kiev. She came from Ukraine to go to the University of Texas for college. Um, we are keeping her, you know, in our arms in the 40 acres and our thoughts and our prayers and her family and there's millions of uh, people with stories like hers who have family back home and who are just you know incredibly uh tense watching and not being there to do anything about it and um she has gone and and made her thoughts known about 
what's going on over there right now. And, and her sign was in Ukrainian, but uh, you can see her, the signs <laughs> next to her in English, and they tell a very clear message of what they think of, of uh, the, the Russian midget. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I am proud of her. And then as we talked about the Women's Swim and Diving National Championships, it got covered far more widely this year than probably in any year I've ever seen. For whatever reason, it was very featured on the political shows. I Again, I've never noticed any news stations covering besides sports, the, the swimming. But this year, for whatever reason, everyone was really interested on Penn uh, and the Ivy League swimmers, which, again, not where you expect the news cameras to be. Uh, I'll let you do your own Googling, but um, there was a swimmer who was governed, allowed by the governing bodies to compete and competed very well. Dominated, in fact. Um, there was a viral photo of uh, UT swimmer Erica Sullivan, as well as uh, Pat Forty's daughter, who's an incredible Stanford swimmer who was in fourth place, Erica Sullivan in third place. Um, a, a second place Virginia swimmer who's been elite uh, all year. Um, and basically these three from, from the Tokyo Olympics got together and said, wow, you know, we've, we've had such an amazing time being these young athletes competing in, in the Olympics. Now we compete in the national championship. Some of them for their last time, uh, um, 4D uh, is done. And they took a picture together. And if you zoomed out, it looked as though that picture was saying something that it wasn't. And I really, again, appreciate that Erica Sullivan, who is an inspiration and set two University of Texas program records in the pool this week, uh, said, no, that was three friends taking a picture. That's the angle. This is I'm posting the picture from this angle that it was intended. If you caught it from another angle and used it to further your means in your conversation, I don't appreciate that. And also, let me specifically say what I believe. She wrote a really incredibly articulate Newsweek article, thanked her girlfriend for editing it for her to make it sound fantastic, um, that you know was affirming another swimmer's decision and life choice. And, I, you know, like, I love the kids speaking up, having their opinions, believing it, and, like, allow them to tell their story. Don't tell it for them, especially if it's the opposite of what they believe. And so I, I just, I won't wade too far into the waters and just say, I love to see, and we saw it with Logan Eggleston, you know, during the the kind of social unrest in the, in the middle of the pandemic, we've seen incredible examples of University of Texas student athletes using their voice, being a college student, being young and having opinions and standing for something. And, and I hope that tradition truly never ends. Whatever opinion it is, if I disagree entirely with it, keep sharing your opinion, your voice. It's, it matters. It's a part of the discussion. It is as relevant as literally anyone else's. So um, proud of my Longhorns uh, that they were able to do so. I've said it before and I'll say it again. And Kyle, you said it beautifully. Like, even if I don't agree with you, you are absolutely well within your rights to have and share any opinion you want. I think um, if you value these athletes for what they do in competition but don't value them for what goes on between their ears then they're not people to you they're entertainment and we can talk about that in a much longer conversation and i'm probably not even smart enough to have that conversation but we'll just keep it moving so i'm banging the drum this week on somebody who yeah, let's just go ahead and say it continues to be on the wrong side of history um darren Ravel went ahead and just opened his mouth and and inserted his foot yet again he i don't even think is is self-aware enough to realize how how dumb he sounds but on the 13th of march he tweeted a video about 
um, a commercial, which is very much in his alley. It's a Buick commercial, and he basically is just a business reporter masquerading in a sports context. Um, and it was a commercial about getting better coverage for the women's NCAA tournament. And he tweeted that women get less coverage during March Madness because there's less madness, fewer upsets, and the bracket is predictable. It's not the same product. And there's a longer conversation to have about the underlying misogyny coming out of the mouth of somebody who has daughters. But we can also have the conversation about there have been more upsets this year in the women's NCAA tournament than there have been in the past. And I feel like these women, maybe they didn't see Darren Ravel's tweet, but they felt it deep down in the deep downs and wanted to help me dunk on this man. Darren, <laughs> when you have opinions, remember, you're always wrong. Go against your absolute <laughs> normal instinct and say the opposite thing. Because your commitment to being on the wrong side of history continues to amaze me. Like, it has to be a bit at this point. You are so good at being wrong that you just have to be doing it on purpose. The women's game is not an inferior product just because you don't have the ability to understand it. Because you can't see what's happening on the court. You can't understand it. That's not on them. That's on you. That is a you thing, not a them thing. These ladies, these athletes, regardless of their gender, these athletes are putting on a hell of a show. And for you to sit from your couch in your seven second 40 behind to say that about these women is absolutely inexcusable. And you don't listen to this podcast, but I know somebody's daughter does. There's a reason why we cover these things. There's a reason why Kyle and I do an hour and 15 minute podcast because we want to make sure that all these athletes that are putting their blood, sweat, and tears on the line, who some of them don't even get full scholarships to do this because they love the game, get the shine they deserve. So Darren, I invite you, next time you want to open your mouth and say something stupid, think twice, my man, think twice. Yeah, women's sports are literally 1,000% equally as important and as justifiable of coverage and attention as men's sports to say otherwise is just so incredibly evident of, of the larger problem that, that Ravel and others like him uh, uphold. And if, like me, you were pretty wrecked uh, when, you know, you're, you're, you had Iowa going deep with Caitlin Clark leading the NCAA women in ruined it in scoring and assists. She's the first player to ever do that. Either men's or women. She led the country in both scoring and assists. Iowa seemed like a shoe in as a two seed when they, my bracket was busted because Creighton had a player who transferred from Iowa, wasn't getting the playing time and goes off with a career high and also a game winning three pointer against her old team to upset the 10 2 over a lot of people's final four pick in Iowa. That's fun. That's madness. It was wild. It was one of SportsCenter's top plays. It was great. Like, what are you watching? You're an idiot. Anyways, watch women's basketball. March Madness. There are two March Madness going exactly right now, uh, and they're both fantastic. You should watch both of them equally. And Texas has a legitimate shot at winning a national championship in the women's March Madness tournament. So we all have a vested interest in watching. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. 
You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook him. Hook him. Rory Harm is the most exciting player on campus.